0: welcome to Colin shots this is Seth part now I am joined today by uh, a guest who was first recommended to me by Caitlin Cooper uh, kind of one of the uh, the the brighter if nameless minds in uh, in terms of basketball strategy uh, on the internet first of all um, just quickly so people are are, are understand why we're calling you Bowser instead of like a name
1: so like two years ago I deactivated my social media and I was like The pandemic just started, all this free time for writing. And I wanted to start a count just to talk about basketball. And I did. And it was so freeing not having like high school friends and my little sister and all those people, you know, on my timeline. And it got to the point where I was just like, I kind of like, you know, being being able to talk about basketball, just basketball people. And so it started, you know, for a random reason, but I enjoyed it so much more that I just kept the mask on, so to speak, and now I've, you know, I think eventually my name, will you know, I'll say who I am, but I'm enjoying it like how it <laughs> is right now, so I want to keep it going for a little bit longer, because, you know, when you're a teacher, you get students who Google you, and you get students who are like, hey, I tried a friend request, and I'm like, you're not supposed to do that, <laughs> um, so just keep it, my name, uh, making myself un if that's a word, um and so my students my bosses and all them just you know keep basketball to basketball and that's the reason i kept the anonymous so far but i'll probably someday abandon the anonymity but not yet
0: i imagine your players too
1: well the funny thing is my players because you know i spend so much more time with them that i'm closer with them and they know me much better and you know they talk and my players honestly like the only way i would get found out is if my players were listening to your podcast and if they are good like if my players are seeking out basketball podcasts to be smarter about basketball um i welcome that and then it would be kind of cool because they maybe they you know find out something because every once in a while they'll scrimmage and i'll just do like one time i said a a spain back so i had to fill in for a scrimmage and they were just blindsided by it i'll just do like random things at them in the game and if they follow me if they follow you and stuff they will be smarter, and they won't get blindsided by a Spain back screen and stuff like that. So if my, my players find out, that's less of an issue. But high school is a lot like high school, a lot of gossip, a lot of whatever. <laughs> so it's funny, as a teacher, even as a teachers, we sort of regress and we gossip a lot. And so being able to keep these two things separate has been very uh, fun, but also very freeing. Like, I just, sure. yeah, be, I don't have to worry about, you know, different groups of people. I can just talk to basketball nerds and that's why I like it,, so I wanted to have you
0: on because um we, we I, I talk a lot about and people you know the, the the tactics of the playoffs and the innovation and stuff like that and and for folks who are in, who are in the room um, this we we scheduled this uh you know we, we talked about doing this a while ago, and it just happens that this is being recorded uh during <laughs> the week that the player tiers come out. Um, if you have questions, I'm not gonna answer player tiers. Uh, I think I'm gonna have Mike Prada on later in the week and you can yell at me then. So uh, let's keep the questions to the playoff stuff and or I have a quick mute finger. But I, I almost I assigned you homework basically. Um to, to to my my question was like, hey, what are some of the, the, the things, the the new things, the strategies, <laughs> the tactics that that we saw in the playoffs this year, and what does that what does that kind of mean? both for the, league over, the play in the league overall going forward and, you know, for future playoff runs. Um, and I, I, the, the place to start, and this isn't necessarily like a, a specific, you know, prediction about what's going forward, but I, by far I think the single biggest strategic talking point of the playoffs was the Celtics' defense on Steph Curry. So yeah. let's, let, let's start there. Um, so, yeah. I, I just I like open-ended, go ahead.
1: So here's one of the things is I love it that more and more defenses are becoming unpredictable, you know, just mixing up coverages. Even Golden State's a great example of this. Like their man looks like a zone and their zone looks like a man. Um, Sometimes you hedge, sometimes you drop, whatever, things like that. Because if it's the same look every time, then you know exactly, you know, who's going to be open and it's easier for offense just to run the same play. And so for one, even if you like don't love the drop coverage, mixing up the coverages, I think, is has its benefits. And like one of the but the other thing is, if you want to run drop coverage against Steph, it helps to have Derek White. It helps to have Marcus Smart as well. Like, you know, I was talking to my coach about my head coach about drop coverage. And he was like, it's not so much the screener's defender. He said he's only had one defender in all of his years of coaching. Who was good enough in navigating screens that he could have ran drop coverage, and so when Steph gets off the screen and whoever you know gets dies on the screen is his defender, it's a wide open three and it looks horrible. But when Derek White like beats the screen and gets the rear view contest, does whatever. Especially now that they are, um, you no longer can do that like Trey Young stop and have the guy run into you from the rear view contest. Uh, especially now that they're no longer calling that foul, it seemed like a pretty good idea. But also everything. Looks better when you have a Derek White on the ball. Like so, if you had a Lonzo, a Caruso, or whoever um, as a you know Drew Holiday as your on ball defender, drop coverage looks a lot better than if you have.
0: Uh, <laughs> Donovan? That? Here, I'll say it. Donovan Mitchell.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, drop coverage doesn't look as good. And so for one, I liked the switching it up. And the two, like in the first game or whatever, you know, Steph made a lot of threes. But correct me if I'm wrong, but the game that Steph scored a lot was also the game Draymond got benched, I think. Yes. And so Steph scored a lot because they're doing drop coverage and they're forcing – and that just – Draymond didn't have a role. Like, if you are in drop coverage and you can have a good screen navigation and Steph doesn't get a wide open three every time, then all of a sudden Draymond doesn't get going, Clay doesn't get going, Poole – not Poole because he can get going on his own, but, like, Williams doesn't get going because all of those – My friend Evan Golberto said that I was asking him, like, who's the second best shot creator on the Warriors? And he said, number one, is Steph Curry. Number two is the threat of Steph Curry or, or gravity of Steph Curry. And so having that drop coverage kind of removes the gravity. I mean, it makes Steph Curry better, but it removes the gravity of him. And if he is like he has great conditioning, but running off ball is a little bit different from shot creating every possession down there. And it tires you out. It keeps the other guys out of the game. And I think you and I agree that Boston's defense wasn't the issue. I mean, their defensive rating was spectacular all throughout the finals. And I think if their offense had been a notch better, we'd be having a lot different conversation about like, oh, that's why you can't go in the drop coverage. Because I was looking at all the different coverages, and it was like, oh, just bring the screener's defender up to level. Well, then Draymond slips behind him in the short roll. uh, That happened plenty of times. But, like, it's not as notable because we're more used to that. Um, So I would love to see teams try it in the future. Like, I, the idea of letting Draymond get the four-on-three fast break and, for some reason, they never force the floater. They always let him get the lob to Looney or whoever else. Um, It's good to switch it up. I mean...
0: Sure. No, and I had I had actually a uh, someone from a from a different team that was not involved in the series like like text me at the time saying like yeah everyone's focused on the shots curry's hitting and kind of ignoring as you said all the all the other things that aren't happening because like Steph is Steph has like is 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 the offense. Um so um w- I, I guess, does that mean that, that, that against, uh, like, you know, there's maybe three, four players in the league? Does that mean, you, you you know, against Steph, if you don't have, or if you don't have a strong screen navigating on ball defender, what, wh- do you just have to switch? Do you have to be up to the level and live with Draymond? Like, what is your, what would your prescription be for a team that does not have a Derek White or a Drew Holiday or, or you know a Lonzo or Caruso, or I mean we could probably come up with yeah. with a few more like of the good screen that right uh, the Jose Alvarado maybe uh um those those kind of players
1: so if you don't have those and like half of them are on the Chicago Bulls so um, <laughs> uh, and
0: and some and, and the likelihood of the Chicago Bulls and Golden State Warriors playing in the playoffs <laughs> in the soon is
1: low so um yeah that would be a sight to see but if I didn't have that I would. Um, you know, up to touch, bring the screener, and maybe that sort of, like, that flat-hedge area where, like, you're not completely at the level of the screen, but maybe one or two steps behind it, like in a catch or flat-hedge. That's what I would try to do. And then switch, um, especially, but also the other thing is, as I was noticing sort of anecdotally, uh, Steph is better pulling up when he can gather from his left hand. And even when he would, like, so, Boston, they would do, <clears throat> I've been calling this strong in coverage, and I don't even know if that's a thing.
0: I think that's right. We force them, like, you force them, like, some teams, like, either strong, like, they're strong hand, or they just use it as a as shorthand for right, since most right. teams
1: are right handed. And so sometimes you weak a screen, which is, you know, you force the the dribbler to his left hand, weak hand. And so you de- like, if there's a screen, like a drag screen going to his right, you deny the screen to force him left. Well, Curry's so good at going left and hitting that pull-up sidestep three that Boston was doing the opposite. When Curry would come down the right side of the court and they would uh, set a drag screen for him to go left toward the middle, they would actually deny that screen. So they would, unlike the Jays where you force them left, they were forcing Curry right. And it was working, but then, you know, Curry's just... Curry, what he would do sometimes is he would snake around, he would go right, and then he would veer back left and then be going left when he hit, hit the shot. But like strong in coverage, I also I think Memphis did that to Minnesota or to uh, Anthony Edwards because he also likes to go to his or whatever left hand, um, his non-shooting hand, uh, and so that coverage kind of intrigues me of forcing Steph to his right, um, and there's other things. Uh, one thing Steph Curry would do is called body coverage when when he was you know guarding Marcus Smart and Marcus Smart was screening for jason tatum and they want to get a switch curry would like shove Derek white or marcus bar the screener away from the three-point line to where like tatum was then then out of his uh range so whoever was guarding tatum could go under the screen and so when boston when they set those really really high screens for curry boston started going under them because you know curry's not going to shoot a half court shot he might shoot 35 feet 30 feet 20 feet whatever but like it sometimes people just instinctively go over the screen because even though it's at half court. So there is a, even though Steph Curry, Steph Curry, there is a point where he's not going to attempt that shot. And so that would or be, an if he point.
0: is like, if he's going to, if he's going to beat us by hitting five of those. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like, all right, you know, then you can just shake his hand and say good game. Um, but I like the idea of like, don't let Draymond get going, you know, uh, and so much of the offense is sort of based on Steph and then Steph's gravity. Um, so if you cannot let Draymond get going, then he's even like his defensive, um, not effort, but his defensive impact is sort of muted, you know, because it gets into you. If you're on offense and you're just zero points and four turnovers or whatever, sometimes that can affect your, I don't know. Yeah, no, like he, he,
0: for the first three games or so of the series, like, it did seem like his defense was almost like more about like, for lack of a better term, shithousing, as it was about like defending. Like he was, you know, trying to goad people into stuff and, and you know, be an, be, be an instigator almost. And it's like that's that's a thin line. And I think for the first couple of games of the series, when his offense was gone, was not was not there. Like he was probably over that line into sort of the uh, questionable effectiveness.
1: Um, hundred percent.
0: Let me see. I had, uh, I had sort of one, one more, one more quick one about Steph, and then let's let's get all along to the the broader playoffs because you know the, I I feel like the the Steph versus drop coverage and the sort of the anti-drop coverage fundamentalism we could spend hours and hours on that and get nowhere because people are going to believe what they're going to believe. But um, did you notice this is something that in real time in one of my in, in a group chat with with some some uh, some Milwaukee basketball people was at the start of Game Five of the series they were like ooh. They're they're bringing two to Steph. They're trying to get the ball out of his hands. They're trapping there. I don't like it. Uh, because and, and they were saying, like, because it's going to do those things. It's going to yeah. let let Draymond get loose. It's going to let Wiggins get loose. It's going to get Otto Porter some shots. And I think that that happened a little bit early in that game. I Like, is that just, like, seeing what I want to see, or did you notice that as well?
1: No, I noticed that as well. They would also... They would try to do this thing where, um, Steph would come off a ball screen and like the, the defender one, uh, gap away would either aggressively stunt at him or even switch on to Curry. And it, and they're just so good at keeping the ball moving that it was just, you know, a hockey assist every single time. Um, and then I think if there's an issue of like, if you make Curry work for all of his points early on, he gets tired in the fourth quarter. After, but then, but even, uh, other way around, if you, trap him early on, everyone else gets involved then they're happy and then they play better throughout the rest of the game. So I definitely saw that um, going into game 5 where it was like, there was that stat that, I remember J.J. Redick tweeted out of like, Steph is is averaging whatever versus drop coverage, where it's like, yeah, he got drop coverage 7 times and he made four threes. you know, like, such a small sample size and such a, you know, some of those threes were over Daniel Tice when he was the drop big and it's like, there's a reason we don't Based conclusions off of seven sample size, um, but yeah, once they went to a more tra- once Boston went to a more traditional, like at the ball of Curry's hands, it was more or less curtains for the next couple of games. It felt at least at least um, offensively. So
0: let's let's broaden out. You you put together a pretty <laughs> exhaustive list of topics uh, that you wanted to cover. I, there's no way we'll get to most of them. Yeah. The last one on your sheet was this Curry thing, but I wanted to like. Just get it out of the way first. So, in terms of like new, interesting, notable things in this last postseason, like where where do you want to start with something that like the hey that's interesting strategically?
1: So the thing that I, I'm probably getting a little overboard on is the peel switching, and it's just the so I was watching. Can you, you know,
0: before we like can you? Yeah. So just pr- quickly ex- explain what a peel switch is so, so folks who might not know know what we're, we're talking about.
1: Of course. And I gotta so the, to understand peel switching you have to understand trapping the box, which is the traditional defensive rotation. So if Marcus Smart is on the ball and he gets beat by his defender, traditionally he and the help man, usually a center like Robert Williams, they trap the box, they trap the ball handler, and then there's a backside rotation. Um, but the thing with trap but you know the thing with trapping the ball if you put two people in the ball, there's one player's open and in trapping the box, the player open is theoretically the hardest guy for the ball hand of the pass to. It's usually a skip pass to the weak side wing. And this was designed, you know, Bob Kloppenberg and all back then with the weak side eyes, it goes back, you know, decades. Um, But that's that cross court skip pass to the weak side wing is, was so rare back then, but it's so common. Like my players can do it. Um, And
0: I was struck by this like a, a couple like I think about two or three years ago where I was watching a Dallas game and I saw like Dorian Finney-Smith who I really like as a player but like ball in hands decision maker not necessarily and he's coming off like a like a, a dribble handoff on the left elbow and is coming to the top of the the, the 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 top of the arc and he's throwing like blind one hand off the dribble like high lie pass. To the right side corner because the because the defender had come off that spot and if it's you know if like our typical three and D wing is making that play that's a play <laughs> people like that that's a it's a pretty well established yeah. thing that for you me can do now
1: there is for me it was seeing Jackson Hayes make that pass the <laughs> seven foot power forward for the New Orleans Pelicans was driving baseline and made a live dribble cross court skip pass and I was like okay guys. Um, and th- th- this whole trapping the box is based on, oh, but that's a very difficult pass to make. Well, it's like, well, maybe it's not that difficult anymore. Um, and so and, and so that's tr- traditionally what happens. The help defender and the on-ball defender, so Robert Williams is smart, trap the ball handler until smart can recover, and then everyone reverts back. You know, hopefully you can revert back and avoid a rotation. Um, so peel switching is different. Peel switching is a marker smart gets beat. Instead of him and Robert Williams trapping the ball handler, uh, Robert Williams just switches onto the ball handler, and then Marcus Smart can peel off and take Robert Williams' guy, or you can rotate around, and Marcus Smart will peel off and guard an open guy in the perimeter. And so one of the differences, trapping the box is usually around the restricted area, and so there's two guys on the ball around the restricted area. But in peel switching, Marcus Smart will peel off around like the free throw line. So then his closeout is from the free throw line to the three-point line as opposed to the restricted area to the three point line and so it's and it also you can do uh, peel switching so that was with Robert Williams but also if Tatum is next to smart and he's in the gap in between the ball handler and his man and the ball uh, the ball handler can dribble at Tatum so then Tatum on the perimeter can switch on to smart and then smart can just peel off and take Tatum's guy so it's, it's it was I remember hearing about peel switching but like, oh this is a cool thing. But in the playoffs, I was like watching Utah and Phoenix. And I was like, they're actually making a lot of the times they're making the right rotations. And the right rotation is one, predictable. And then two, one time I remember Rudy Gobert was at the right wing and he had to close out whatever. How many feet? 40 feet at 30. I don't know what it is to the left corner to uh, Reggie Bullock, And he just pumps and get the dunk. And it was like, all right. Maybe don't ask our 7-footer to make a 35-foot closeout or whatever I mean, it is. Or
0: anybody to make a 35-foot closeout. Right. Foot, <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like,
1: this isn't Rudy Gobert's fault here. Right.
0: Like, you, you, you run out of guys, basically. You run out of guys to rotate if, you, if the offense is, is well-spaced and knows to, how to swing. So As- it's like, okay, we make the first rotation, the second rotation, and we're out of defenders.
1: Yeah, and so the Mavericks just did that all the time. It was just one more pass, one more pass, and then an open three. And so I'm, and I'm seeing this, and I'm like, well, it would help if the Jazz and the Suns had secondary rim protectors. You know, like, they always have Bojan, and then they have uh, Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson as their power forwards. Like, you know, not really great rim protectors. And then I was like, Dallas was going—they had lineups that had Davis Bertons at center and Dorian Finney-Smith at power forward, and they were doing better defense than eight—and so, like, how is the team with zero rim protectors doing better than the team with one rim protector— and like the answer is sort of peel switching it, it. I've realized that it's like the antidote to not the antidote. It's not going to stop it, but at least make it s- slow down five out offenses. And instead of like instead of like having oh we have these perfect rotations or, or the defense flying around the ball. It's like H- what if we stay out of rotations in the first place? You know. Um, and then the benefit of that is if you know you can peel switch. The on ball player can guard the ball handler more tightly and take away that step back three. So what Luca would do is he would ISO Aiden or Cam Johnson. He would get past them for an easy layup. So the next time, Aiden or Cam Johnson or whoever would sort of sag off a step or two, and then Luca would just, you know, pull up three, step back three. And that's why being so close on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum is why forcing them left worked for Golden State. So if you're not close on Jason Tatum but you're forcing him left, well he's really good at this tight step left three. So, you know, Bielitza and Otto Porter and all you have to be close you have to force the guy left, but be close enough to take away a step back three. And you're gonna get beat, but that doesn't really matter because then you have somebody else behind you to switch on back on the Tatum. And there was one example of a smart set of screen so that Curry would switch on to Tatum. So now Curry's on Tatum and he's forcing him left, and Wiggins is now on Smart to Tatum's left. So as Tatum kind of in the corner, just no, it was it was like top of the key. Okay, Uh, Tatum had him top of the key and he was going to his left, and uh, Smart was on the left wing and Wiggins was was guarding Smart, but he was in the gap, and so he drives right back. Tatum drives right back into Wiggins, and then Smart peels off and goes to Smart. Sorry. Curry peels off and goes smart. So then it just it was a switch. You press him closely to force him to drive so he can't do a step back. And then you switch back and then all of a sudden it's like we spent twenty seconds trying to get a trying to get a mismatch and now they switched back against us and Wiggins is now so guarding Tatum. So I, I heard about pill switching and I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. That's a, and then this playoffs like especially on the rewatch, I was like, No, it like and I don't know if Miami did as much. I didn't get to watch them on my rewatch, but the other three teams in the conference finals all use kill switching a lot. So Golden State, Boston, and Dallas. You know Dallas is overachieving, and Memphis uses it a lot too, um, and they overachieved according to some people. I maybe mean, I don't know if they call that, but um, a lot of the teams that did better than expected kill switch, and a lot of the defenses that didn't, they use this traditional trapping the box. Um, kind and of so help and recover. To help and recover, you put yeah. two on the ball and then, you know, try to, try to make that 30 foot closeout to the far corner as, as you're supposed to. Cause it's like these, these rotations were designed for four outs or even three out offenses, but now they can, they can be adjusted for five out, but they're just a lot longer closeouts and thus harder closeouts, more room to mess up. Is, I mean, is it maybe a
0: simple way of putting it mm-hmm. is, um, like, okay, you get beat off the dribble, you bring the second player to the ball, but you never have two on the ball because the first player, instead of like recovering to his guy is is then okay, well, I'm guarding the next person already hundred like, percent like, like, it's, so. it's more
1: like a, kind of like a zone in a way um, yeah, it's uh, so you can do it different ways, but instead of trapping the ball you know to stop the penetration, you just switch prematurely almost. And it, it just weaponizes switching. It makes switching so much like it actually negates the advantage. As opposed to like usually switching like the lesser of two evils, right? We always like people yeah. like you and me are always like don't give up easy switches. Well, this is the opposite. It's like I don't know if you call it easy switch, but it's an aggressive switch that stops the advantage from happening in the first place. You don't give up a mismatch. Um,
0: it's yeah. It's the difference between Boston has a switching defense versus like the teams that soft switched are just switching. Like, Boston like the Phoenix Swi- Suns,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're Monty Williams is like, oh, we'll switch one through four, and then Chris Paul would switch on the Luca, and Luca would score, and Chris Paul would, you know, Cam Johnson would switch on Luca, and Luca would score. It, it just like, it's like, oh, we have four interchangeable defenders versus we like Golden State's defense, you know, Boston's defense. It's like we have no weak defenders, and we're, our switches are actually, you know, going to sort of. Not scare you, but like like Draymond's gonna step to the ball, and it's like, oh shoot! I now I have a better defender on me, um, <laughs> as opposed to let me attack the weak link on a, an ice that while everyone else is spaced out. Sure. So
0: uh, I think I, I want to get to some lineup stuff next, but first uh, frequent caller who always has great questions, uh, Abdul Rahman. Uh, how are you doing today? What uh, do, what uh, what's your question? Hi, Seth. Was gone. Late, so. I know that Bill we'll Switch in this uh, playoffs work great, but is this strategy strategies will continue going forward, or is just
1: teams don't know how to counter this? And we have a lot of stationary shooters in the, on the wing, so it's work a lot, and team don't punish
0: that. I, I think that's a great question, and I think that kind of gets us into some of the lineup stuff I wanted to get into. Because one of the points you made to me was that like ball handling is being prioritized a little bit in terms of of rotation of playing rotations over shooting.
1: Yeah, and so one of the things is, is what's sort of happened is the the really good shooter like Duncan. It's kind of ironic this is happening because Tatum can sag or sorry. Wiggins can sag off of smart because smarts like he's like that at that Mendoza. Like he's a good shooter, but he's, you know, he's not Davis Bertans. He is not, you know, uh, Duncan Robinson. And so a lot of teams have sort of taken a, taken less from a shooting ability and more ball handling. It's kind of more, I think even Andrew Wiggins versus Joe Harris or sort of thing, or like uh, whatever the, so somebody instead of Duncan Robinson and, One of the antidotes to peel... One of the counters to peel switching is if really good knockdown shooters. Like, you're not going to be in the gap if you are guarding Steph Curry or Davis Bertans or Kevin Durant. And so it's sort of... One of the ways to to counter it is have really, really, really good shooters so you can't be at the gaps in the first place. But those really, really good shooters are liabilities in other ways. And so what I've noticed teams are doing is... Uh, more ball handling. And I remember, I don't know, I think it was Dallas was going like box and one on Steph and it was actually working. And then they sub Jordan Poole in and you let Jordan Poole play four and four and he's going to score. And uh, on the flip side of it, you know, Trey Young, when he was trying to do all the ball handling for the Hawks, Miami really kind of just... Uh, nip that in the bud and and hence they trade for Jante Murray. And, you know, the Celtics traded for Derek White. They get another ball handler in there. Um, and I'm seeing sort of more and more two ball handler lineups. And it's not a new thing because, you know, James Harden and Chris Paul, they were had a historically great offense doing it, but it's um sort of on the rise and it's sort of an anti heliocentrism model. Um and I think Oh, even Dallas Mavericks are, the, are probably the best example. They well, go my,
0: from... my favorite my favorite example is because I think it's some, one of their more effective looks is when Memphis plays uh, John Tyus Jones together.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just way different from Keen on the this guy has to generate all of our advantage versus you know and and also Tyus Jones's job is easier if the best point of attack defender is on John Morant and, and vice versa. This is,
0: you know, this is why Dennis Schroeder is. Wow, great comeback year for Dennis Schroeder when he was <laughs> on Oklahoma City. I actually did some analysis on it and like just looking at who was the, um, he consistently got far weaker defenders on him, uh, if you looked at the matchup data than yeah, did Chris Paul and sense. Shea Gilders Alexander, and he had you know one of the you know the, the best years of his career certainly since you know since he moved into. Kind of a starting level role after Jeff Teague kind of aged out in Atlanta, and it's like, oh, Dennis a shooter. He then, then he, and since then, he has kind of faced the, the the top defenders, and he's sort of done what he's done.
1: Yeah, it's um, also why Kyrie looks so much better when you know when LeBron joins the Cavs and Kyrie can go into like the secondary creator mode because he's not quite the playmaker of a, you know, he's not quite the Chris Paul sort of for general playmaker and LeBron being a very big initiator allows you to have a point guard size combo guard. And like Jalen Brunson, you know, let's see how he does it on New York, but like Luca being small forward size kind of lets you have Jalen Brunson on the court at the same time. That's such an advantage. And then on the other side, those like combo guards who are shooting guard size, like Malcolm Brogdon, Gilgeous um, Alexander, like those guys who are DeJounte Murray who are big enough to, defend twos and threes maybe um i feel like i right away i was like oh malcolm brogdon would be great for this and then of course he goes to boston and i was like all right boston has the very similar <laughs> strategy as what i would have um sort of loading up on ball handlers as long as you know they can have the size and, and the defensive ability somewhat like Spencer Dinwiddie he being six five with a six ten wingspan is a lot different than having two having the the um they would call him Damian Lillard backcourt where you're you're both point guard size.
0: Sure that makes sense. Uh, the other the other thing that and this is this is a playoff thing but maybe it's a little broader than that also is um, our, is is two bigs coming back. Is it, we've been we've been going f- like four out and even five out has been like the hotness for a number of years and you know some teams have had some success and it's the funny thing is people are treating this like it's a new thing but like <laughs> the, before this year like you look at who the last two nba champions were really last three like like uh you know, toronto was big mm-hmm. the, uh the, the lakers in the bubble big mm-hmm. the, the, the bucks played huge in in most critical times of of the 2021 playoffs. Even if they, even when they went small, it's like okay, well, we've got like you know Giannis and Bobby Portis and PJ Tucker and Chris Middleton's not small and Drew Holiday's big and Pat Connaughton's a big wing. Like, yeah, it's not a, it's not a small lineup. Um But but now it's even more explicit. Like you know Cleveland with Evan Mobley and and Jared Allen and, and even Laurie Markin like mixed in there. It seems like that sort of concept is. Coming back a little, did that hold up in the playoffs, or is that a regular season only thing? From
1: what you no, I saw in the playoffs. I think the important thing is the versatility of it. Like you can have the option of Giannis and Lopez at the front court, but Giannis can also go to the five, right? And so there's a difference between like having you know the Zoolander having only one look, we have to have two <laughs> bigs, or we have to have one big, versus if you have that sort of like tweener big. Um, like Mobley, who can play power forward next to uh, Jared Allen versus he can play center. And so, you know, uh, Jaron Jackson pl- can play next to Stephen Adams or he can be the center himself. You know, um, you can put Clark at the power forward or you can put uh, Kyle Anderson, or not anymore, but put, you put a big wing at the power forward. So, <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, Zaire Williams, um, whoever they have playing that sort of big Small forward size power forward role, um, so I think that's definitely coming back because one of the things is if to bring it back to Peel, which which I seemingly cannot do, cannot not do, like ha- like that's actually why Cleveland's defense was working this year. Uh, Laurie Markkinen could press up because he was it was so funny he was the wing stopper. Like they play Brooklyn Nets and he's he gets he guards Kevin Durant and they play. Who are, he has to guard Jason Tatum. He's a primary assignment for Jason Tan. Like it's just hilarious that it's like this guy who supposedly has such bad defense that he couldn't play power forward is now playing the wing stop or small forward role. But it's because you have those two rim protectors behind you and it's just twice as hard to game plan a Rudy Gobert out of like you know, one of the rules is you don't help off the strong side corner. So what you know, the Houston Rockets were doing this when they went small ball with Harden, but you put uh, the opponent's center in the strong side corner and you put your ball hander in the strong side wing and then he's this, the rim protector is just out of the game. But if you have two rim protectors, it doesn't really, it's not as effective to put Gobert in one spot on the floor. Um, and a lot of times it's like uh, Ayton would be like in the strong side corner or like he would just be above the break and he'd be guarding Mexicliba and having two guys who can protect the rim As long as they can play together and play apart, I think is a huge thing. Like having Draymond and Looney play together, or having the option of either one of them at center. The same thing with Boston, um, having Robert Williams and Horford, or either one of them is the is the key, in my opinion. It's not being beholden to only one look, but um, having that playoff versatility where you can slide up, slide down. And I honestly like a lot of the innovation things i've seen like was cleveland this year was just doing a bunch of things differently and i was sort of mobley was my pre-draft crush and i watched a lot of cleveland games early on and then i was like holy crap this team is very interesting um and then too young too injured to do the playoffs but they did a lot of things creatively on defense and so did so did golden state um they did a lot of things too and a lot of it was having these two bigs and having wiggins as your third rim protector he's you know, he's a pretty good backline rim protector this year. And I think it just makes a huge difference. And, and
0: you know, Otto Porter and, and whoever else. Yeah. Is, you know, Commingo when he's in the game. Like, there's, yeah. Um, I, it was funny, like, the marketing. I remember, I remember distinctly, I don't remember if it was against Brooklyn or Boston, but I remember watching one of those games and tweeting at the time, that was just the best five minutes of defense, the best five minutes of, defense of Laurie Markkinen's career. <laughs> when he was, like, matched up on one of these wing scores and did great. Um, what you're talking about, like, uh, did your, did your estimation of, of Kavan Looney, like how, or rather, let me phrase it this way. How much did your estimation of Kavan Looney, uh, increase having done kind of a a thorough rewatch?
1: See, I've always liked Kavan Looney. I'm not always, but you know, like I didn't, I didn't sour on him because I, you know, he's mobile and he's like. He's in so few. I don't know what he'd be like on a different role. Like if he was if he was in the Clint Capella's role and had to run seventy pick and rolls a game. I don't know what. I, I mean, maybe he would go. Maybe he wouldn't. But like in that role, and like one time he made that pull up two. Then the shot clock. It was like a. It was like a college three. And he just has these passing skills, and and you know he's making post entry passes to run the split cut actions and stuff. And I'm just like, I like the that Looney Draymond front court, and they make it work. Um, because I think Looney has some underrated perimeter skills. Because you know Draymond draws all the attention for that. Um, what about you? Did, did he? Did your opinion of him change during this off season?
0: Um, I, it certainly changed over the course of this season. I've I've I have I've always kind of liked him, and then especially early in this year, like kind of before Draymond got hurt, uh, there was um there's a game early in the year when Golden State played Chicago, and they I think it was the second quarter of that game. Where Golden State played the single best quarter of defense I've ever seen, where it's like they weren't—they were never running, like it never seemed like anyone was sprinting, and it always seemed like there were eight defenders on the court. And when you really broke it down, the person at the center of so much of, like, you know, not no pun intended, the person at the center of so many of these, like, just blowing up Chicago's actions was Looney, just being you know in the right place, being able to stay in front of a perimeter player. Just like being being in a spot early, um, and you know, like there like there were teams that would like hunt switches to get like a guard onto Looney, and it's like, <laughs> but why? Like that's not really you're not really old habits. Yeah, you, you haven't really gained much there. It's you yeah. know, it's it's like it, it's not quite as like counter scouting report as like posting up Harden should be yeah. ha, has been in the past, but uh, yeah. So, no, I think that – but then you should see it in the playoffs and it's like, oh, oh yeah. This this is like like a guy who should get – like legitimately should get all defense consideration.
1: A hundred percent. And he's flying around. He's mobile. And he's, he's kind of in that rim protection mode of like – he's not the shot blocker Robert Williams is, but he sort of like can prevent the guy from getting to the rim in the first place. And then you have these uh, – you know, you give up – a floater instead of a layup that the efficiency goes down enough even if you're a bad rim protector and so even though he doesn't get as many of the blocks he is flying around there and he's very mobile um and it's a as all and it's also a great fit so it's and uh, to your example about the um about the switch to get looney to bring it back to Mark and james harden when he's on the nets was playing against calves and like twice in a row he switched marketing off of him to isolate mobley and i was like what like what is this just are you an autopilot because then like Mobley stole the ball one time and then like got a uh, turnover the other time on dump off to Duran sharp it's just like kind of funny how people will do like oh he's a center let's go at him and it's like oh no no that doesn't work here um don't keep attacking kevon looney i don't know uh sure there, yeah there, there are easier ways to score
0: um, I kind of one one more question on the bigs, and this is again, this is this is a loaded, motivated question based on my prior held beliefs. You mentioned like these versatile like four or fives who can slide into a center role. Um, I fairly strongly feel for most of those players that's a sometimes food, um, and the, the, you know the, the biggest example, and I go back to this all the time. I didn't love uh, Memphis benching Stephen Adams. Not that Stephen Adams is like a great matchup against Golden State. More that, like, uh, Jaron Jackson can't play the five for extended periods of time. <laughs> not, not because... Fouling. Yeah, yeah, that's why. I mean, he, yeah, yeah. basically his foul rate is like, is, is, like, I don't know, 40% higher as a center than it is as a... But I think that's the most extreme example. Like, Giannis doesn't love playing the five, no. but he'll do it to close
1: games. AD, Uh, another example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Mobley's maybe too skinny to do it full-time now. Yeah. So I think there's usually that tweener, that tweener guy is like the Marvin Bagley, John, the guy who like can't play the center defensively full-time. And I feel like, like, you know, maybe they don't have the size or the foul or the non-fouling for Jaron Jackson or Mobley, but those guys who, who act like Draymond guys who are good defensively, good enough defenders to play the five versus the, like, the 4.5s, the Julius Rand, the, the sort of, like, big... power but, Yeah, the guys who can't be your... Like, he's a, a fine secondary rim protector, but you don't want him to be your, your Clint Capella full-time. And so I like that, as, as you were saying, uh, was a bitch food? Yeah, I... Uh, I
0: a, a sometimes food.
1: A sometimes food. Having that option to go... Because Jaron Jackson, he fouls too much, but he's a good enough rim protector to be your primary. Um, and having that option of, like... He can play power forward or center. Maybe you don't want him full time either one. But if you I, I get really him really like to the those... fourth
0: quarter with only two fouls on him, then go crazy.
1: Yeah, and like Maxi Kleba, there's a few like power yeah. forwards who are exceptionally good at defense. And I think there's a big difference between those guys who are good enough defenders to play the five versus the John Collins, who is like you want him to play the five on offense and the four on defense. Um, those sort of like uh, pick and roll power forwards. You know, and there's a lot of players. So I like that versatility, but no, not having certain players always play the center position. And even like the innings eater of Steven Adams throughout the season to er, to play center during the regular season, even if, or like uh, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee on, on uh, the Lakers. Because Anthony Davis in those finals, I think played, I think, I think the whole playoffs in the bubble, he played the majority of the center minutes for the Lakers. But having the ability for him to play power forward saves his legs a little bit, and I think that's very crucial.
0: Um, this is this is sort of related to a two big, uh, two big question. And I see Abdul Rahman has another question. We'll get to that after this. Um, did you see any ways where teams were were finding ways to allow sort of non shooters to not? You know, this, this is sort of one of the, 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 the early innovations of the Warriors run in like the 2014, 2015 playoffs was, oh, we're just not going to guard Tony Allen. <laughs> um, uh, and like that's now like that, like Tony Allen, a non-shooter has kind of become a thing. But it seems like teams, at least, you know, to me, it seems like the smarter teams have started to find ways to, okay, you can't just stand behind the arc, but you can be effective offensively. Um, what are some of the yeah. things that teams have done to, to, you know, Gary Payton has made himself a okay corner shooter, but that's not really his primary offensive
1: effectiveness. So one of the things is cutting. So it's, there's a big difference. So like I was looking at Isaac Okoro and Matisse Lilo are like near identical, three-point percentage, three-point rate, all that stuff, right? Three-point 36 minutes. But Isaac Okoro is a big physical cutter and a way better finisher. And so – A lot of times what Cleveland would do, especially also with Mobley on the perimeter, instead of like, you know, baseline drive, baseline drift, when you have the baseline drive, you want to have the opposite corner filled. But if that opposite corner guy was like Mobley, he would come in for a lob and then the guy on the wing would fill the corner. And so, or if if, a Coro or Mobley were on the wing instead of the corner, they would 45 cut, make a basket cut uh, to the hoop and sort of collapse that help defense and sort of base, like cutting based on personnel. So being a non-shooter who can cut is so much more impo- so much easier than being a non-shooter who can't is isn't a good, you know, finisher in the rim over defenders. Now the second thing um, uh, is having, you know, what, what we, we coaches call automatics where it's like if the ball gets passed to this guy, automatic screen away or whatever. And so a lot of times when Brandon Clark was in the, he and Brandon Clark, you know, has, hasn't been able to shoot for a couple of years. So when he was in the corner while Jaron Jackson would run the pick and roll or something, if the ball got passed to Brandon Clark, instead of him trying to shoot the twenty five percent corner three, he would automatically pitch it to the guy in the wing and then go to the ball screen and it was just like a like the ball kept moving. Um and, and another so that and
0: almost if that almost puts you in a situation a lot like when I mean thinking of the finals, you know, when kind Of later in the series, when Draymond was effective offensively, like he wasn't trying to go to the rim, he was mm-hmm. dribbling straight at Steph. He was dribbling yeah. straight at Clay like Thompson. if you can't
1: shoot, yeah. go watch Draymond Green, and that's just the best. He's he's so and so I've like it's kind of funny for being a copycat league, and and like uh, teams have emulated Golden State shooting you know threes and and rims, but like it's correct me if I'm wrong, not many teams have emulated how the Golden State has got those threes of a lot of like split cuts and stuff like that, and so another thing that um, the Pelicans would do with Larry Nance, when he would get the ball in the corner, it was a split cut action of you pass to him. Instead of asking him to shoot or drive, you screen away, and then there's there's flow to your offense as opposed to just like either he shoots the three or he tries to drive into a crowd. Um, so there are like a few different things because if you are want to go with more two big lineups for versatility, you have to have something in your arsenal besides... The guy who can't shoot is spaced out to the three point line. Or also, the other thing is, like, I kind of think we've all forgotten how good Ben <laughs> Simmons is. Because I was, I was, I was. I, blown okay,
0: a... I, I'm glad you brought this up because this ties in. You mentioned Matisse thibel and I think that there's there's a commonality there in that the way you mentioned core was being used. I, like, why can't Thybul do that? Like, I, I like he's bit like, especially given the the sort of the feel he shows defensively. Why like why can't he he be used in offense in a way that's that's cutting, and it's a little bit you know uh, there's some commonalities uh, a, a, a sort of a point of commonality in sort of the lack of creativity and how Ben Simmons was used offensively. I'll leave it for listeners to suss out what that is. Um, <laughs> that you know is is kind of rendering these players like less effective than they could be with perhaps a little more creativity.
1: So. I, I watched a lot of Okoro at Auburn, and I don't think Thibault ever had the offensive skill. That, like, Okoro, like, can't shoot that well, but, like, he would be a lead ball handler. There was a lot of baseline out-of-bounds plays which are designed for him to attack his guy from the elbow, things like that. And, and, uh, and Matisse-Thibault, like, it's... it's There's different body structures. Like, like Okoro is a bowling ball. He starts running downhill. No one's going to get in his way. But Matisse is more that like kind of lanky Danny Green body type, where he's he's not as like powerful coming at you with full head of steam. And so what Ben Simmons would do when he was like weak side slot, they would do like I don't know if you call it a slot drive or a stampede cut, but you would pass it to Ben Simmons, and instead of like you know usually you get the ball to perimeter, you're supposed to look to shoot, and then if the closeout's too aggressive, you try to drive it, right. So instead of catching and looking to shoot, you were almost running toward the basket by the time you catch the ball.
0: Uh, go and catch, not catch and go.
1: Yeah, go and catch. And so Ben Simmons would do this all the time. And so a lot of times they would run floppy action for JJ Redick, and he would pass it to Reddick And then Ben Simmons, the defender, was stunned over at Reddick. So Reddick would pa- pass it right back to him and go and catch. And he'd be on his way to the hoop. And so having a 6'10 athletic guy who can dribble and finish is a lot different from the 6'5 kind of lanky Batiste Bible type. So, um, you know, having some physical tools makes it a lot easier. If you're a good roller like Brandon Clark, um, if you're a good slasher finisher like a Coro or Simmons, it's a lot easier to adapt your offense. But also, I just, I just, I like, watching the playoffs again, I'm like, why haven't more teams tried to emulate how Golden State gets his offense? More off ball screening. Flowing, like I think they ran the fewest pick and rolls last year, um, and the fewest, or very few isolations. Um, but every other team, you know, it's isolation or pick and roll if the play breaks down. And maybe that's not the best fit for every team. I think Boston would be a great example. They got good passing bigs, good cutters, but not very great pick and roll ball handlers comparatively.
0: I mean, I think it's it's you know Kelly Oubre wasn't great in Golden State because yeah. It's it's you know you like there are some players who play, who for lack of a better term are probably more effective playing by rote and you know why Looney is a like why Looney is a is a very good fit in Golden State is is he's you know okay he may not be the the physically quickest or most explosive but he he reads the game very well and is mobile and has good hands and all these little things that let him just you know. Do stuff with the ball. It used to be that mm-hmm. everyone was looking for players who could dribble, pass, and shoot. I think now it's sort of you're looking. It's dribble, pass, shoot, defend, and you want three of four. Mm-hmm. It seems to be more of the, That that's a guy who can who can be on the floor in the postseason. Uh, yeah. Let's let, let's get back to you know uh, we kind of where we got a, we got a couple more minutes here. Let's get back to Abdul Rahman for for one for one more question, and uh, then we'll we'll close up on uh, on another topic.
1: So Seth, you talk about how
0: teams use the non-shooter with the uh, with the great off-ball shooters, but why those off-ball physical wings or bigs don't ducking in or for easy layups against smaller players? I love a good duck in. Um, <laughs> this, is, this was something that I think was a was a, a decent part of why of. Uh, underrated, I think, part of of, and, and I'll let I'll, uh, Bowser. I'll let you answer this, but just this is a, this is a particular love of mine. Is is the the Bucks in throughout that playoffs? Like the number of times where like a, a three would switch on to Brook Lopez and he'd be sitting in the corner. And it's like, oh, I got a three on me, and he'd just run to the front of the rim. Um, like yeah. you, they, you know, you, the, those aren't like designed actions or anything like that. But you get a couple buckets a game that way. Um, that, that that certainly is a way to discourage, like parking your your kind of mediocre defensive small forward
1: on on Brooke Lopez, and um, you know Marcus Smart that Paul Pierce cut from the weak side corner in uh, Marcus Smart was doing it the Steph. now step you know he's a, a fighter and he's not as bad a defender as some people think and so it stopped working once um, Curry knew it was happening but like I love when teams instead of like. Instead of like, hey, we want to get Trey Young from the far corner onto our ball handler. Let's hit you know all these screens to get a switch and, and worry about that. You know, as Boston kept trying to do, and then that waste the shot clock. It's like, what if Mikhail Bridges does the duck in, like because the Phoenix Suns used to do it. what so I'm thinking of, th- of those two. But it's a way to attack a weak defender without trying to have all these people move out of the way so he can set a so he can set a ball screen um, and just the duck in as like. I just more cutting in general, more like rim threats as opposed to like like Houston Rockets with Harden took the five out to the extreme where everyone was stationary. And I think a lot of teams have been too stationary, sort of like I need to be in this corner because that's where my ball handler is going to expect me to be. But having that sort of rim pressure in different ways, if it's through dunks and through cuts, um, I think is another one of those trends we're going to see more because I really like those as well. And not like an every time thing, but especially when you see the opportunity.
0: The, I and it's also it, it like it takes two seconds on the shot clock instead of yeah, yes. Yeah. You it's, can it's, duck in like, and
1: then duck back out.
0: Yeah, like like you know again like the duck in is something like my pet peeve is the is the dribble dribble waiting for a thing to happen. Oh crap! There's eight seconds on the shot clock. What do we do now?
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, let me see. We again. We've probably covered about a quarter of. of so I apologize because then yeah, I I didn't mean to assign you homework, but you went and and, and produced like a you know the outline yeah. of a the outline of a book basically. <laughs> um well, and so is um, there like? Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, when your wife tweeted today that she read your DMs and some of you need therapy, was she were talking about me?
0: No, and, she was talking about <laughs> she was I'm, I'm talking about responses to the uh, <laughs> yeah doctors, yeah. Doctors.
1: But no, I um, I was like because it was funny. I sent you like. Uh, whatever it was, 20 ideas, and you're like, wow, lol, whatever. And I was like, because I was, I was just loving this stuff. Um, uh, So things that, um, more things that I wanted to talk about. Um, oh, one of the things, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, I wonder more and more players are getting this sidestep left three, and it's like one of the best antidotes to ice coverage. And the ice coverage is, if you don't know, it's when you force the ball handler to to the sideline, and usually when he's on the left wing and he wants to get a pick going to his right, going to the middle, you ice it to keep him wet. When Dallas was trying to ice Steph Curry, it was like an automatic three points every time because he has that sidestep left three, and so does Tatum, and so does Zach Levine, and a lot of guys like that. So does Luka,
0: and so does... Yeah, so many
1: people have that sidestep left three, so I'm wondering if more people are going to add that, and then will ice become less effective? Um, You know, I, I don't think, you know... Dorian finney smith to use him again or how everyone's going to add it but uh if the guys who run pick and rolls keep adding that is ice going to become less effective um that's sort of a, a shorter idea that i just i was going back some through over some of those sites that left threes and also on switches it's like you're on the left wing the guy's in a no middle stance um if you have a switch you have a big on you it's like he he gives you a foot of room. He doesn't want to get beat. Side step left three. Side step left three. Like I made a little compilation. It was just like over and over again. Um, because it's like keep the guy from going to his strong hand, going to his right hand, going middle. But if he has that shot, what do you do? Um, and so being able to play closely on Tatum and Brown is why they could force him left and not give up that side step three. And sometimes they did, but that was usually when the on ball guy was giving up too much room. Um, so,
0: I've got, I've got, I, got, I think I got, um, uh, is right as we started, I uh, actually put in, in text, he was, he was surprised that we we're talking about Golden State Boston and not Phoenix Dallas. And I think oh. that's a, this is a place where we could, where maybe we should, we should end is what happened to Phoenix? So in, in, in that, in, like at, at the end of
1: that series. So I'm, you saw the article about like, maybe Phoenix players had COVID game yeah. seven and so I was kind of going back and watching this and wondering how much of that would feel true. And maybe they did. I have no idea. I, I haven't heard anything since that, that article originally came out. But from Game Six and Seven, it was just like it, it was just like an unstoppable tr- Dallas was just like trucking them. It's like an unstoppable offense, and it was just
0: so it wasn't like a strategic thing. It was just like it, it was what like best, best adjustment is play better. No,
1: it was it was a hundred percent strategic. But oh, was, so I, I don't know how to say his last name, but Igor Kokoškov, the the Slovenian yeah, head coach, who
0: was calf, I think is
1: that how you? Oh yeah. Okay, I, sorry, sorry, Igor. Um, he's like if you are you know on the Twitter a coach's Twitter, he's like everyone loves his X's and O's, and he was assistant coach on Jason Kidd's staff, and he just had a counter for every single thing Monty Williams did. Monty Williams put uh. Defenders one pass away in the gap, and then so the offensive player would cut behind them. They tried zoning up. it would do more cutting. They would try to do all these different things. And eventually, it was like Monty Williams ran. Like he did a lot of adjustments. Somebody I put, I tweeted something, and someone's like, well, that's why Monty Williams he didn't make any adjustments. He made a ton of adjustments. It's just that Kokoskop had an answer, or, or Igor had an answer every single time. And so game five was the one that Phoenix won. And I think... I don't remember the reason, but there was, like, outlier shoot. There was, there was something where I was, like, I'm watching the game. I'm like, yeah, they won, but Dallas kind of made a lot of self- unforced errors and all, missed a lot of open shots and stuff like that. Um, so, like, games, even though it was a loss, but four, or sorry, five, six, and seven, it was just, like, Phoenix was j- just had no answer. And so they would do these certain plays over and over again because Phoenix, like, ran out of options. And it was, like... And so it was just that where it was, it was maybe COVID was a factor, right? Um, But also it did seem like Phoenix did not have the answers to Igor's uh, X's and O's and
0: Is that a a personnel thing in that they didn't, like their players didn't have, okay, Devin Booker can do this and that, but what Devin Booker can't do is, or doesn't do, is get to the rim quickly and finish. Um, I think it's both. and um, Or, and, you know, uh, like Mikhail Bridges can do a lot of things, but he can't like run. He, he he's not someone you want to give the ball to and say go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's a hundred percent. I think pers- or sorry, it's it's half and half. Um, or right, part personnel, part scheme, and partly it was the fact of the pill switching, which you know I've already waxed poetic about. <laughs> but also, it's like it was you know you have Chris Paul. This guy an extension. Like like he got it. Like, maybe don't switch him on a Luca so easily. And like, they were doing, Dallas was doing one play the Chicago action where somebody would screen for Luca and then Luca would come get a handoff at the top of the key from a center. And so, whoever Chris Paul was guarding would set that screen for Luca and then Chris Paul would switch on Luca and then Luca and his center would run a handoff or a pick and roll at Chris Paul and eight. And they did that over and, and this is on game six and like, it was like they're still just giving up that lazy, easy switch, and it's like, do something else, and do anything else. Like, like have have Chris Paul hedge that screen instead of switch that screen. Have there's a bunch of things you can do, and and it was just the Phoenix kind of was like, you know, get just just relaxing and giving into it, and and it just hope happened. So it was the same actions over and over again, getting the same result, and so partly personnel because it was like they didn't have because. Campaign was, you know, getting beat a lot, too. So those are their only two point guards. Um, and there wasn't a, and then Cam Johnson. He was getting beat a lot, too. But, like, who else are you going to put a power forward when Jay Crowder needs a rest and so forth? So a little bit of personnel, but also, I think, scheme, And partly it's their versatility because the the lack of different looks. You know, it's Chris Paul, it's, it's Booker, and then it's two sort of interchangeable threes and fours. And, but it's like that's like your one look, um, you know, Jay Crowder to Cam Johnson to whoever else is not that big of a difference in terms of what they offer you offensively or defensively. Um, and they
0: didn't really, they didn't really have a five-out option either.
1: And they didn't have uh, Maxi Kleba who could go play center and you know space the floor and sort of try to go tip for tag. A hundred percent, it was it was just watch the rest of the series further cemented my idea that. Dallas kind of out coached, and Monty Williams is a great coach. He made a lot of adjustments. I don't want anyone thinking I don't think that um, it was just every time I mean, he had.
0: You can get like, out. You can get out coached in the given series or given game the same way you can get outplayed. It's not. I, like, I,
1: I honestly was thinking of that phrase. Yeah, like, like, yeah, that's what happens. Sometimes you have a bad series. Doesn't mean you're a bad player or a bad coach. And you know, and coaching at live games is way different from like, like one of the hardest things in coaching is keeping. 15 different things in your short-term memory and it's just a lot different from like re it me rewatching the game a month later and being like oh I would have done this I would have done that so coaching is a, so much harder than it can seem like if you haven't done it it's and the, uh, the other part
0: is, is is of course like well yeah I, I, I told them to hedge that but they switched it
1: but. yeah <laughs> I mean, or
0: something like that. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It was, it was funny. I was, just I because was, I taught uh, it doesn't mean they learn. Yeah. yeah. No. I did, and and uh, yesterday I had Doug Lamov on and, and, and we talked about just that, how that might be, yeah. that may be a blind spot for some coaches that, that like the encoding these things in, uh, in, in, in memory is actually like, it kind of takes multiple times. And so the, mm-hmm. but we worked on that at shoot around. Okay. But then they forgot yeah. it because that's how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh I, I, he's great and says a lot of especially because i'm also a teacher and so i'll be like hey guys do this instead of that and then they'll make the same error and i'm just kind of like did you not know the right thing to do but it's like no and heat of the moment you kind of forget you, you fall you over sometimes you overthink things like if you overcoach them you give them too many things sometimes they mix up situations and so it's a lot different it's not just like nba 2k where you're like Setting drop coverage, setting hedge, and then they're going to hedge every single time. It's what, a lot my, uh, different actually the humans.
0: What uh, my friend PD Webb calls academy brain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, no, no matter what, we're doing this. Yeah. Um, well, that's. I mean, I,
0: you know, we could go on this forever, but I've already, I've already kept you for uh, more than the hour I promised. Uh, this was, this was super interesting. Um, I think, you know, ho- hopefully, you know, when next season gets going, we can. Uh, get get you back on to see if you if there's any new wrinkles or anything like that that you're seeing because that's that's something that is kind of common across the nba especially you know in the last 10 or so years with uh greater access to video is like one team does something once and then you know video coordinators oh that's interesting and all (laughs) of a sudden two weeks later everyone's doing it um so just you know kind of seeing which which new wrinkles are going viral next year. So uh, hopefully
1: we'll... Yeah, and that's that. one of the things I was like... Golden State is copycat league, and I was like, why is not more teams like tried Golden State's whatever? And you gave know, you the Kelly Oubre example, but defensively, Golden State did so many cool things this year. Um, and other teams are doing it too in the regular season, and uh, as Abdul-Rahim is saying, there are counters to it, but sort of is the counter, does you know, you know, it the always work, or yada yada. Um, I mean, yeah, I would love to come back on whenever whenever you're happy.
0: Well, very cool. Well, Thank you so much for joining me and uh folks, if you did join today to yell at me for player tiers, <laughs> uh you will be able to do so on after the after tier 1 is released on Friday, uh Mike Prada who helped edit that piece and was one of the first person to berate me for kind of the initial uh groupings I had and they got ed- they got, you know, argued this way and that through the process. He's uh he's going to join me and uh so, you know, yell at me then and get out of my dms um (laughs) thanks a lot for listening uh thank you again for for joining me and uh we'll talk to you all later take care
1: all right thanks